0: We're in the Gospel according to Luke. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, to chapter 12. We're in chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Um, Contextually, uh, it begins much earlier, and we'll see that um, as we walk through this text. I'm a little loud. I don't know about out there, but um, let me read to you this morning's text, The Word of God, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. I'm reading from the ESV, English Standard Version, of God's holy, inspired, authoritative, inerrant Word. Hear God's Word to you this morning and to me. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barns, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why do you... Are anxious about the rest. Consider the lilies. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much more will he clothe you? Oh you of little faith. Do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink. Nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows what you need, that you need them. Instead, verse 31, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. The where your treasure is, There will your heart be also. May God add a blessing to the reading of His holy word this morning. We're in the middle chapters of Luke. Jesus is is drilling deeper and deeper into what it means to be a follower. What does it mean to actually walk and to be a disciple of Jesus? And one of the main things we've seen over and over, and really at the center of this teaching, is the concern about life itself. He's talked about priorities and life. Itself. And one of the things, or one of the ways you can know, and you and I can know what you think life consists of is by asking a couple of questions. Do you covet the things of others? We saw that last week. What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? What are you fearful of? Because if your life consists of possessions, stuff, if the things of this world that makes you feel like you've made it, like like you're somebody, you have purpose and meaning. Your life will be marked with fear and worry and anxiety. Why? Because we were not created to define our life or what life consists of from getting it from this world. C.S. Lewis got it right when he said, Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want accurately something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give, give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find myself, he writes, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, end quote. C.S. Lewis. Last week in our lesson, Jesus pointed out that we should not put our trust in possessions, that our life does not consist of the abundance of what we possess, verse 15 of chapter 12. Pastor Ricky did a great job last week pointing out that there is only one soul satisfying treasure, and it's not your bank account, not your house, not your car, not your portfolio, not the respect, the honor of others, but Christ. And that truth has been the theme all the way back to chapter 9. That Christ is our life. In fact, he said in chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, that's that word, will lose it. You want to save it? You want to chase after it? You want to cling to it? You'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, and the gospel, Mark adds, will save it. What if you, What would profit a man if he gained the whole world? That all the material things of this world. And loses or forfeits himself his life. You see, life, Jesus said, must be given up. One must lose one's life in order to save it. He's talking about priorities. He's talking about security. He's talking about treasuring. He must be first priority over all things. Being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus Christ means we are to reorient our lives around him and the gospel. So what does life consist of? There's only one soul-satisfying treasure, and that is Christ. But what does that mean? What does life consist? What does it look like? What does it look like to practically live out Jesus being our first priority and the treasure of all our lives? How how does my covetousness, how does my anxiety and my worry keep me from my one soul-satisfying treasure, who is Christ? Again, last week, Jesus says, be on guard about covetousness, a strong desire to have what other people have. And we learn that the treasuring of Christ, uh, 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 the, the satisfying treasure of our soul, cannot be Christ in stuff, Christ in the world, Christ in our possessions. Last week we ended in verse 21. You could turn there with me. Verse 20, actually. Look at verse 20 of chapter 12. The rich. Parable of the rich fool, verse 20. But God said to him, you want, you want to hold on to your possessions. You don't want to give it away. You, want to, you think you're going to just keep getting larger and larger and larger possessions. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Obviously not yours. For the one who lays up treasures for, this is the one, or so is the one, who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God that's the person hoarding possessions souls required of him somebody else is getting it being rich toward yourself not rich toward God okay that that's the context and what we'll see here is three things as we get into the next text first the command not to be anxious the consideration from creation Jesus will say consider this consider this and then the choice to seek and to sell okay the command not to be anxious. Now, in verse twenty-two, he says to the disciples, "Therefore." So, obviously, what he said before implies, or Jesus is pointing to what he's saying now. Right? The word "therefore" ties it back to what was said earlier. Even though we finished last week on that verse, it's, it's one full unit. Therefore, right? When you see that "therefore," you got to ask, "What is it therefore?" <laughs> I know that's theologically brilliant, but what is it therefore? So. Jesus says, therefore, don't consider your life as the abundance of your possessions, laying up treasures for yourself, but be rich toward God. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. can't be rich toward God and be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what do you pull on, put it on, put on it. Verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. In other words, one must stop trying to find life in what one possesses, but first recognizing that life consists of more than what you have. Food, clothing, shelter, even the necessities that you need does not define life That's what Jesus is getting to. It doesn't mean we shouldn't care. It doesn't mean we shouldn't provide. It doesn't mean we shouldn't labor for things that we need, for our family and for others that are in need. He's not saying don't plan, don't prepare for the future. Rather, he's addressing the covetous person who has this excessive concern about stuff, possessions, which will lead to fear, anxiety, and worry. Again, it's not about planning, laboring, working for material things of this life. Jesus taught, pray for what? Your daily bread. The problem that Jesus is addressing is that Problem or the issue of the heart, our priorities, our, one's ultimate treasure, the excessive concern about things. So, what is life? The word life here in our text is not the word bios, where we get the meaning of uh, 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 physical life, we get the word biology, the study of living organisms. Actually, the word here is, is the word suke. It's where we get the word psychology or reason, will, the emotion, the personality, the, the personhood. It is used and was and still is used of uh, when we talk about someone's identity. What makes you distinct? What makes me distinct? What makes you valuable? What makes you have worth? What gives you purpose and ultimate meaning? Your identity your identity. It's the same word Jesus used in Mark 9, 24. Whoever would save his life will lose it. You Trying to run and try to find your own purpose, your own meaning will lose your life. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. He's not speaking about losing yourself in the, in the sense of losing your individual self. Being an individual is being part of the Imago Dei, being created in the image and likeness of God. Ultimately, the gospel is the answer to finding ourselves, the real self. So what Jesus is getting at is that we must not build our personhood. We must, we must not build our identity on gaining things of this world. That's why he said, profit a man, be gaining the whole world. And lose or forfeit himself, his life. Same thing here, more specific. Jesus is calling us not to be anxious, chasing after our daily needs because life is more concerned or life is more than the concern of food and clothes. You can't trust God, keeping your, you're keeping your focus on him and have, and have your soul satisfaction rest upon Jesus at the same time being anxious and worried and fearful of your daily needs. That's what Jesus is saying. What does he say later on? Or he says in Matthew, you can't serve what? God and money. One you'll hate and despise, the other you will be lo- you'll love and be uh, devoted to. See, life and value and worth can never be found in anything that's perishable life value and worth can never be found in anything that is perishable all that the world offers us will and is family passing away it's the treasuring of things not christ that causes our hearts to crave material things resting on the that false security of something that can give me my life my personhood my identity what causes anxiety What causes fear? This is a hard text. Not because it's hard to understand. But it affects all of us. Fears about the future. Things you have no control over. Feelings of inadequacy. Controlled by others. Financial pressure. Work-related stress. Loneliness. Family conflict. Grief. The fear of death. Again we could toil and labor but we cannot place our trust and our hope and our identity our life in this world. And if we do what happens is stress, anxiety, fear and it affects all it affects every part of us. Physically stomach issues, heart palpitations, tight muscles, tense muscles, it affects your mind, your emotions, your lack of sleep, right? Irritability sense of hopelessness and fear. It affects your relationships. Fear and anxiety are either isolating ourselves or we get into a codependency relationship. And although some of the reasons and the remedies that we find in this world can be useful, Jesus is making it clear that anxiety is, at its root, a lack of faith and trust. That's why Jesus says, well, actually, it's a command. You can mark that in your Bible. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Word can be interchanged. It's Greek present imperative. It's, it's a command. It's, it's, it's a command of being in a constant state, regularly and always, of being anxious-free or anxiety-free, worry-free. The word in the Greek anxious is really two words. It means being torn in different directions. To be anxious, to be worried, to be torn in different directions, to distract and to be divided, have a double mind or a double heart. That's what really the issue of worry and anxiety being torn in in two different directions, faith in God and fear of man, or faith and trust in what God can provide, and then what I need to do is I take control of my life. Jesus' commands mean that his followers' life, their identity is to be characterized by the absence of anxiety, because there's more to life than stuff, food, clothing. And to be overly concerned, to be to be overly concerned about that misses or will stop us from treasuring that greatest treasure, which is Christ, a relationship with God by faith. Again, it's not that we don't need food or clothing. It's emphasizing that, that desire, that overwhelming desire of a greater and bigger surplus, this hoarding, this, this tearing down my barns, building bigger ones up, clinging to what I have is really a sign of, of distrust of the provision of God. (laughs) I mean, you think about the ads, Christmas season, even worse, right? Commercials, all the online posts try to get you to think, you know what? Your life is all about, you know, the way you look, what you drink, what you put on your body, next cologne, whatever it is. And it's all for the purpose of trying to get us to idolize it, to run after that and be stressed out over it. I mean, even an online post, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, you know, everybody's life is perfect all the time. That'll stress you out. The way to make an idol, the way to not make an idol out of that stuff get stressed out over it is to recognize that we have been given life through Christ, that our bodies were given to us for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. So do not make food and clothing stuff your life for the purpose, for it's, you know, your life for, for the purpose of your existence, for Christ is our existence. Do not treat it as an end, but a means to a higher end of living for the glory of God. Keeping our eyes off of material things and answer the Lord. Jesus will go on and say, You got a solution. Don't be anxious because you have a good Father who knows what you need. He knows you. He loves you. He values you. So, how do you deal with worry? How do we deal with fear? How do we deal with Anxiety, do we, do we continue to chase things? Do we de- continue to, to pursue possessions, things of this world? Do, do we trust God to meet our needs? Or do we, do we cling to the thing that we're afraid of losing? Or think you need to be valuable and worthwhile? Jesus says, listen, life consists of more than just the things of this world. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Trust. The command. Next we see the consideration. And to drive the point home, Jesus, the great Bible teacher, or the best and greatest Bible teacher, uses two examples about food and, and the clothing. Verse 24 through 26. He says, consider the ravens. I mean, have you ever seen a raven land and then start gathering food? And then like build a barn and put it in? No, I haven't. They're not farmers, man. They're scavengers. Ravens are scavengers. In fact, in the Old Testament, they were worthless. They were ceremonially unclean. Jesus used ravens on purpose for the Jewish people. And he says that God feeds them. They're unclean animals. They're scavengers. So think, why are you anxious? Why do you worry? Because how much more value are you of these unclean, unholy, worthless birds? You see, Jesus' reasoning from the lesser to the greater. It takes... If God takes care of these scavenger, ugly scavengers, uh, birds, will he not take care of you? Do you and I believe this morning that we're worth more to God than the birds of the air? That might be a strange question, but that's what Jesus is saying. Do you believe that God will provide you because you're worth something to him, of great value to him? This is a sensitive issue for me. I mentioned it once before. I know someone who rejected Christ because he was told they were unworthy, and that's true to some degree. We are unworthy of his grace, but it's not that we have no worth. We are unworthy to receive his grace and love, but that does not mean we don't have worth. There's a difference. We're created in the image of God. We have dignity of have value and worth. Jesus goes on and asks, who can actually add A single hour to their life. Have great value. Trust me. Answer is no one. I would love a 40 hour day once in a while. Wouldn't you? Just a couple of more hours. Visit the grandkids, schedule family and friends. Yeah, no, not getting it right worry and anxiety doesn't add anything to our life what does it really do it takes our life from us it robs us of our life does it dr. Rankin says worry steals our rest we lie awake at night anxious about tomorrow and then we get up too tired to work hard and this only adds to our anxiety <laughs> worry steals our health as we suffer the physical effects of our anxiety Worry steals our obedience as it tempts us to other sins like irritability, addiction, laziness, or on the other hand, overwork. Worry steals our hope as we fear the worst about the future. End quote. How true. You gain nothing. Verse 26. If then you're not able to do this small, tiny little thing. At an hour, why are you anxious about the rest? I don't know if you saw this week, but the new data is in. came from Bonner Research. The mortality rate still remains at 100%. (laughs) Eat well, good, drink water, I do. Sorry. Not saying that's bad, but you ain't adding. When the Lord calls you home, he's calling me home. The image is deliberate and it's absurd. Who can add an hour? I can't. Anxiety and worry only can make life shorter, right? I mean, make you miserable at least during the time. It should have a general, you know, a a Surgeon General warning: anxiety, wasteful, harmful to your health. Everything else got one. Anxiety and and worry waste of not only waste of energy; it's incredibly unproductive. I know firsthand. It spends a lot of resources, accomplishes nothing. It's emotional investment that really yields no return. And we need to realize we're not in control. Rather than worry and be anxious over it, trust God who cares. Worrying is what someone said like a rocking chair. Gives you something to do, doesn't get you anywhere. Right? Now in verse 27, through 30, Jesus used another illustration from clothing, from the world of botany, but about clothing. Verse 27, consider the lilies. Now, what's interesting is you, you got to just wonder. I don't know. I'm, I'm making this up. This is not scripture. But you wonder where Jesus is right now. You know, you wonder if there was all these ravens that have come down gathering food. And Jesus says, Consider the ravens. Well, then he turns and he stays a big field of lilies. And Jesus just happens to say, You know what? I got the lilies in front. Consider the lilies. Look. How beautiful. Look how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Again, anybody see a lily working hard, toiling and spinning? I don't think so. They just grow. They don't have, they don't have a seamstress, you know, to look like, you know, look good. They just wear what God has given them, what God has provided for them. Even the wealthiest king, Solomon himself, who was arrayed in gold and purple and in his royal, you know, outfit, royal office, Didn't look this good. And then Jesus in that illustration reminds them that they are, unlike the grass, that's temporary. They're eternal. And God will see it to care for and to properly clothe his own. Verse 28. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? The point is that we are eternal. The grass, the lilies, a few days, a week or whatever, thrown into the fire. Yet God clothes them more beautifully than he does and did the splendor of Solomon. If God lavishes beauty, his creative beauty on little flowers that vanish quickly, how much more? Will he do for his children who are created in his image and likeness, who have been redeemed for eternity, and has been given the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ? What will he do for the children he loves? He has attended for eternity to be with him. He will clothe them. And Jesus says, I'll I'll clothe you. There's the great reformer Martin Luther who said this: the flowers stand there and make us blush and become our teacher. Thank you, flowers. (laughs) You who are to be devoured by the cows, God has exalted you very highly that you became our master and our teacher, End quote. And then Jesus identifies for us the real hard issue, the ugly root deep down that causes covetousness, fear, anxiety, worry. He says, oh, you of what little faith? Ah, Hear me this morning. Anxiety and worry is at an all-time high. At least since my life. The past 15, 20 years. I know it from personal experience, family experience. There are all kinds of reasons and past experience that we could point to as part of the cause. But family, we must lovingly acknowledge and realize that worry comes from not trusting God believing in the sovereign God who feeds the ravens dresses the lilies and promises to care for us as his children that's hard I say it with love for the amount of anxiety and stress and worry we have is proportionate to the amount of faith and trust we have in our God And we can say it the other way around. The amount of trust we have in God will be proportioned to the amount of anxiety and worry we have. Folks, anytime Jesus says, do not do or this what you must do, the imperative, it's a command. Do not do something and when we do it anyway, what's that? Sin. I'm not trying to add more guilt on you or on me. I'm just... Let's deal with it. Let's call it what it is. Jesus said, do not be anxious. Do not worry. Life is more than food. Life is more than a body, more than a clothing. Look at the ravens. God feeds them. You're more value to God than the birds. You can't add a single hour. Your life is in God's hands. Consider the beautiful lilies. They don't work. They're temporal. God will raise them in beauty. How much more for you to whom he has given eternal life? Again, lovingly to myself as to you. Part of the problem is we've gotten okay with worrying that we feel we 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 fail to see the faithlessness faithlessness of it. It's just part of life. It's just something we do, and we say, "Well, it, am I experiencing this because I'm not trusting God?" I, I say that to myself as well. The root of so much of our anxiety and worry is unbelief. Jesus calls our anxiety unbelief. That's what he writes. That's what he says. What's the greatest of all sin? Unbelief. Not trusting. When we worry, we deny the promises of God. When we worry, we don't trust him. We deny his goodness. We don't believe that God has our best intentions for his glory and our joy at heart. We deny his sovereignty. Not waiting for him to provide what we need in his own good time. Now. We will all have clothing. Food and drink. According to our needs. According to the will of God. That includes times of persecution. The disciples are going to face that. They mo- they, they're going to physically go without. Stuff. They're going to die and be martyred. Okay. There's no guarantee of physical comfort in this world, There's no, but no trial of difficulties will take us away from enduring and getting what God will give us and what we need for the moment during the time in which we live, that we will endure with what God provides for us to the end, when we see him face to face, redeemed, saved, and with God forever. So, then when our daily purpose becomes doing the will of God, worrying doesn't have a chance. We're not consumed about life. We're going to be trusting God and giving us what we need in the moment for the day in the circumstance, situation which He has allowed and brought into our lives. Then we become less interested in chasing after things and trusting in our God. And if anything like me, I'm just, just bare my soul. Worrying and anxiety can, can creep up. Can it not? When you, when you least expect it or you're not like, I think I'm going to start worrying, it doesn't work that way. All of a sudden you're like, man, I'm stressed out. Man, I am overly concerned. Man, I'm trying to play God. I want to be God. I want to control my circumstance and situation. See, the beginning of worry is the end of faith, and the beginning of faith is the end of worry. What is it God is speaking to you today? What what are the things that you need to stop worrying about, stop being anxious about, stop being fearful about, and trust God for? The antidote to our fearful worries and anxiety is faith in our faithful God. Our life, our purpose, our personhood must be rooted in God. Disciples, followers, Christ can trust God in good times, in bad times, in troubled times, knowing that God cares, God loves, God values us, and we must trust him. The command, the consideration, the choice. Verse 29. Jesus drives home this point in verse 29. Actually, in, in its original language, I'm not a language guy, but I, I, I know how to read. Um, and I noticed that in the original language, there are five plural yous, y'all, Y-O-U, y'all, it's plural, in this one verse, in verse 29. So it could be said this way. As for you, You should not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink and you are not to be worried. Putting it out there. (laughs) Jesus' disciples are, are, are not to live as the illustration he just gave us makes abundantly clear that life is not about just food and drink and what you put on and things of this life. And Jesus will take that and reiterate the negative by saying that that's what the pagan world seeks after. Those who don't know God seek after those things. And what's interesting about this text is that word worried is a little bit of a different word than he used earlier. It normally meant to be lifted up or to be puffed up or to um, be overbearing. It's, a, it's this pride, it's, a, it's this puffed up and overbearing sense of, of wavering. It's, it's this over, over anxious, over worried, wavering between faith and doubt, whether God will care or God doesn't care about me. He said, no, trust God. Again, we can work, we can be productive, but we're called not to be paralyzed by the things of this world with fear and anxiety. That's the point Jesus was making. He said in verse 30, all the nations of the world seek these things. That, that's what people who don't know me, who don't love me, who, 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 who uh, doesn't call me father, who's not a child of mine. All the nations of this world, the pagan world, this world, seek these things, but your father knows that you need them. What Jesus is saying is that believers, disciples should know that their their world perspective should be different. Not what the rest of the people that are seeking after, running after, who don't know God, who don't know his care, who don't know his love, who don't know his provision, they seek after these things. But we, as children of God, we are to be, we should have a different world perspective, a, a different longing, a different our hearts should be set on different things, controlled by different principles, motivated by a different love so let me ask us again are your ambitions the things that you treasure different from those who have no faith in god are the goals we strive for are the purposes in our life different from those who don't know god do we respond to disappointments do we respond to adversities of life Different from those who don't have faith in the sovereignty and the character and the wisdom and the goodness of God. Who is our what? Father. I mean, think about it. God, our Father, who loves and cares for us, is in control. He knows our needs better than we know them ourselves. Jesus, in this text, if you notice in your text, verse 30, and again in verse 32, uses that intimate language of father, and I, again, I, it's not by accident, it's on purpose to make the point that we hear his child, he is our dad, he is our father, he cares. He cares about the ravens, he cares about the lilies, he cares about you, he cares about all his creation. He's the father, he's the sovereign Lord working in creation, and we call him father and we are valuable to him, so why worry? And from the negative now, Jesus in verse 31 turns to the positive. Instead, mark that, instead, chasing after, running after, finding life, finding purpose, and abundance of things, being stressed out, worried, and anxious over it. Instead, seek the kingdom, Greek present tense, ongoing, and uh, these things will be added to you, not prosperity gospel, the things we need for the day. To seek after something is what? To set your mind on something. Set your heart, your affection on something. It becomes something, uh, uh, it becomes your main objective. Jesus said to be on your guard against covetousness because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Now, Jesus says this is what life is. This is what life is not. It's not about the abundance of possession, but this is what life is. This is what life consists of. It's to pursue and to seek after the kingdom of God. A covetous person seeks, finds their life and meaning by focusing and desiring on what? What other people have. A worrier finds their life and meaning by focusing and desiring what this world offers. The kingdom of God seekers set their hearts, their passions, their focus, their desires on the redeeming, saving, cleansing, empowering, love reigning rule of Christ who is the king. The kingdom has come in my life over the earth as it will come in its fullness. The sovereignty and rule of God will come in the finality, but it's also here and now as we submit and bow our knee to King Jesus. Remember, whenever you hear the word kingdom of God, the first thing we should hear and think is king. Dr. D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, says this. To give priority to God's kingdom means to give our first allegiance to him as king. Righteousness is the way of life which results from this decision. We are to look for every opportunity to expand more fully his already established rule in our lives and in our world, in anticipation of the day when believers will reign with him when he establishes his kingdom fully on this earth. End quote. The call to seek the kingdom is a call to pursue those things involved in what? The kingdom of God as we follow the king, rather than the material things of this world. So I ask, are, are we like the rich fool who's worried about more space to put more stuff? Are we seeking being dominated by the things that we have or don't have? The, the rich and the poor alike, right? I think Pastor Ricky mentioned this last week. It could be riddled with, with anxiety and fear. The common denominator for both of that is unbelief by seeking the things of this world. You could be rich at seeking things, you could be poor at seeking those things. It is, it is a lack of faith and trust that God will provide. And Jesus says in verse 32, fear not. Fear not, little flock. Again, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not. I, I read somewhere this week that that's, that's the, the, the number one command of all of Scripture is to fear not. Why? Because we are fearful people. Right? Little flock. Term of endearment. Oh, cute little lambs. Scared to death that you are. (laughs) Frightened sheep. But you're mine, Jesus would say. You need the care of a shepherd. Look how tough you think you are in this room. We all have fears. Maybe nobody knows it. But God does. We can all be fearful. And in our fragility, God promises to care for us as we seek his rule and reign over our lives. And Jesus in love and grace says, it is your father's good pleasure. Notice what it says. Your father's good pleasure. It is your father's will to give you the kingdom. The verb actually is, has given you the kingdom. It is the father's good pleasure to have given you the kingdom. Why could Jesus say that? Because he's the king and he's standing right in front of them. He's the reigning, ruling king who reigns supreme over all that is seen and unseen and over his kingdom? He, will be, he is the one who rules in the heart as we live in royal subjection, in loyal subjection, excuse me, to the king. And when we do, there's no need to fear or to have worry. It's not simply a change of desire, but it's to be replaced by, by seeking from, from desiring and focusing on the king and the kingdom of God. In other words, only those who have faith in the assurance. Of, of, of God's reign and rule through Christ will be set free from anxiety strongholds. Notice though with me, interesting here, is that the kingdom is both to be sought after, seeking first the kingdom of God, and it's also the kingdom that has been given to you. Sought after and received as a gift it's the Father's good pleasure to have given you the kingdom. And we would all say amen to that. He's the king. We're in the kingdom. Let's go. No. What you receive freely is to be given freely. Look at verse 33. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in heaven that does not fail. Where no thieves approach and no moth destroys. My life is... My value, my purpose, my personhood is rooted in Christ. I have received the king of the kingdom, and now I'm seeking the kingdom, and that is the antidote for covetousness, anxiety, and fear. I've submitted to Christ. He's promised to love and care for me, but, or and, it will be evidenced by my generosity. Notice the text. C.T. Studd, a British missionary to China, India, and Africa said this, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him, end quote. Let me tie it together now. Listen carefully. Pursuing the kingdom is manifested through caring for others rather than self. The intimacy and security that we have by living under King Jesus frees us to be generous toward others with our possessions. Okay? It is our heavenly treasure that will not fail. It will not be stolen. Unlike its counterpart, which can evaporate in a blink of an eye. Heaven and earth. Jesus is saying where your location is, that the location of where your treasure is, where it's kept, will ultimately determine its value. That's what he says here. The earth is temporal. Heaven is eternal. And the way to store wealth in heaven is what? To give it away on earth. Trusting him. Unlike the fool, the rich fool who, who wanted to build bigger barns, barns, accumulate and hoard his possession. And I love how Jesus just makes it really clear. Listen, you want to seek the kingdom, you want to pursue the kingdom, you want to enjoy the kingdom. The kingdom has been given to you. You want to have, not have anxiety, not have fear, not have worry. Give money and possessions to the poor and to the needy. A deed of loving-kindness is, is equivalent to storing wealth in heavenly treasure. Again, the point is not that we sell everything and live in poverty. I don't think that's what he's teaching, but to be generous toward others to the benefit of others makes you rich toward God. Again, Phil Rankin: Money bags grow old, treasures fail. Robbers steal, moths destroy. Or to put this in a contemporary terms, he says, our earthly investments are subject to depreciation, loss, theft, liquidation. But whatever we invest in the kingdom of God is safe forever. When we give to gospel work, especially to the poor, our funds are transferred directly to heaven where they are exchanged for the currency of gold, end quote. You know, the old saying is true, you can't take it with you, but it's also true, you can send it on ahead. That's what Jesus is saying. When we choose not to worry but seek his kingdom, knowing that our Father cares and knows us and loves us, we'll not be afraid and we won't have fear we'll and worry. We'll be generous. So notice how Jesus brings that all together. Part of the kingdom, trusting in him and releasing and not allowing that stuff to cause worry and anxiety in your life. Verse 34, the close. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart. There will your heart be also. The inner decision-making heart. We all spend our wealth, we all spend our wealth on the things that we love the most. We all do. Is where your valuables, your energy, your time, all the things that you value the most go. And what one treasures reveals where one's heart is, or about a person's heart. You could say all you want, (laughs) but it's quite easy to tell where someone's heart is. It's where they're putting their treasure. For the heart of your treasure, for your heart and your treasures always go together. So let me ask again, is your heart in the right place? When your heart is in the right place, your treasures will be in the right place as well. Seeking the kingdom of God involves not trying to be rich on earth, but trying to be rich in heaven, rich toward God. Seeking the kingdom means treasuring God and freeing ourselves from being, or or from the pull of materialism. It's placing our faith in Christ. Everyone treasures something. Everyone in this room treasures something. And whatever it is, whatever it is that you treasure, if it's not Christ, whatever it is, whatever you will pay, whatever it takes, you will pay anything to have it and anything to keep it. Even being anxious and fearful and worried over it. Jesus teaching us that one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possession, but life consists of seeking and treasuring the king of the kingdom and its evidence by sending treasures heavenward. Let me say it again. One's life, Jesus is teaching, does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions, but life consists of seeking and treasuring the king of kings and the kingdom of God evidenced by sending treasures heavenward heavenward and to treasure and to seek after worldly gain which will produce worry, fear and anxiety or to covet what other people have in order to feel secure will consume you, it will consume me it will insist that you give up everything in order to have it you'll give up everything in order to get it, even to the point of death sometimes, physical death but ultimately spiritual death, but Jesus now listen But Jesus is the one treasure who died to purchase you. Everything else you make, your treasure, everything else you you value, everything else you need, you think you need for your personhood and for your life will say, die for me. And Jesus says, no, I died for you. I will die for you. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, and was utterly stripped of his treasure. Now not earthly treasures. But the treasure of his life. The treasure of his relationship with his father. When darkness covered the land. And he took our sin. Our wrath. Our filth on himself. And he cried out. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? On the cross. There Jesus gave his life. Treasure itself. And in that moment. A separation of his eternal relationship with his father. In a moment. In a moment in time, the eternal Son of the eternal Father was separated because of your sin and my sin. Why? Why did he do that? Because you're precious to him. You're his treasure. Jesus looked at you. Jesus looks at me and said, I will die in order to have you. Not you die in order to have me. Hebrews 12 Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What's the joy? The glory of the Father and the salvation of his children. He despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Listen listen to me. When you realize, when you truly realize that Jesus was willing to lose all, all his treasures so that you can be his treasure when you realize that he looked at you and he died for you so that you can be free from worry from anxiety from stress from fear i should say and covetousness then you will trust him you will believe on him you will rest in him jesus christ will become your supreme value your greatest treasure Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you see all that he has done so that you can be his? His forever. He will become your greatest treasure. And we will live. It's a work in progress. Let's all admit it. It's a work in progress. But let us grow more and more in love with Christ. Let us grow more and more in love with Christ and less in love with this world. And let us all day by day grow more in trust and less fearful, less worry, less anxiety together. The band comes up. We're going to have an opportunity to take of the communion. This is what Christ has done. The bread represents his body that was broken. Blood the, the, the cup represents the blood that was shed. See the beauty of Christ this morning. The band's gonna play some, some, some music. We'll spend some time confessing, repenting of sin, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I will come up and lead us, so just grab the elements when the band plays. This table is for believers in Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, we're glad you're here. We love you. We wanna talk to you about Jesus, but pass the table. Sit, listen to the music. Speak to one of the pastors. We'd love to talk to you about Christ. But if you're a follower of Christ, and maybe there's something today, maybe there's something that you're just clinging to, holding on to, and worrying, and stressing about, and it's time to say, I, I, You know better than me. You're in control. You're sovereign. You're Lord over. You care about me. You died for me. You rose for me. I'm going to release that into your hands. And maybe during that time of communion, that's what your confession is going to be. We'll let the Holy Spirit lead. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time together. God, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this teaching from your lips to ours ears this morning as we recognize that you have spoken to us through the written word. Father, we just thank you and help us, God. Help us, please, help us all to seek your face, to rest in your care, to rest in your arms, to recognize our worth and our value to you, that you, Lord Jesus, were willing to die, to be crucified on our behalf, to lose for a moment, to be abandoned as you took our sin and punishment upon yourself so that we can become precious to you, your treasure. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.